0: Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode.
1: Welcome to episode 186 of the GDPR Weekly Show and coming up in this week's episode we have news of a data breach at ferry operator Whitelink. We then have news that Tucker's solicitors here in the UK have been fined £98,000 after a data breach. And then to Birmingham in the UK where employees at LSH Auto are taking legal action against their employer after a data breach. And then news of a data breach at holiday provider Scenic Group. And then to Scotland with news of a prosecution after a data breach at Dundee City Council. We then travel across New York in the USA where Adafruit has suffered a data breach from its GitHub repository. We then travel back to the UK and to Southampton where... A dismissed NatWest bank worker has been keeping customer records under her bed. And we then travel across to Ireland where ex-INM chief executive has had their email account copied in a data breach. We then answer a couple of questions which have been raised to our help desk. The first one being, can you transfer customer data via WhatsApp and be GDPR compliant? And then following that, we have some guidelines on anonymizing data we then travel to Italy, where the Italian DPA has imposed a €20 million euro fine on Clearview AI for its facial recognition software and relevant GDPR breaches. And we then travel to Spain, where the Spanish DPA has approved a code of conduct for clinical trials. We then look at GDPR and the use of artificial intelligence in the HR recruitment process. And we then travel back to the USA into to Montana, where a Montana resident is pursuing damages after a data breach at Logan Health. And finally this week, we have news of a data breach at Practice Mat in Arizona. So as always, a mixed range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive. But unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. We apologise that for technical reasons it's not been possible to bring you our interview with Debbie Reynolds, the Data Diva, this week. But we will rectify that next week and bring the interview to you then. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We begin this week in Portsmouth on the south of England where hackers are feared to have stolen customers' personal information in a highly sophisticated cyber attack on a ferry company. The ferry company, Whitelink, which operates ferries between Portsmouth and the Isle of Wight, said it had reported a possible breach to police and the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO. It said it identified a small number of people who might have been affected in February and they have been contacted. The criminal action did not affect ferry services, its booking system or the website, the company said. Whitelink said despite taking appropriate security measures, some of its back-office IT systems were attacked. It said it asked cybersecurity experts to investigate once the incident was discovered. It is now working with the Southeast Regional Organised Crime Unit. The company's chief executive, Keith Greenfield, said this was a highly sophisticated criminal attack on an essential service. I would like to thank all my colleagues at Whitelink who responded quickly, ensuring that the impact to customers was minimised and that cross-salent travel and bookings were unaffected. If we get any further update on this from Whitelink or the ICO, we will, transmit it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com
1: Tucker's Solicitors LLP will this week fined £98,000 by the ICO after a data breach. Tucker's Solicitors, who have branches in Birmingham, Coventry, Margate, Medway, Camberwell, Enfield, Layton, Newham, Warren Street... Berry, Moseley Street, Stoke-on-Trent, Brighton, Hastings and Taunton suffered a data breach when their systems were compromised and more than 24,700 court bundles containing sensitive data such as medical files and witness statements for criminal cases were stolen. The files were encrypted by the attackers, while 60 of them, 15 related to criminal proceedings and 45 related to civil proceedings, were also exfiltrated and released onto the dark web. Following the investigation, the ICO concluded that Tuckers had contravened Article 5, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph F of GDPR because of data security contraventions and inadequate technical and organisational measures to protect sensitive data. In particular, the ICO noted the lack of multi authentication for remote access to the Tuckers' systems, the slow pace at which software vulnerabilities were patched and a failure to encrypt personal data. The firm was aware... Prior to the attack, the security was not at the level of the NCSC cyber essentials, having been assessed against the criteria and failing to meet crucial aspects. Given that the personal data Tuckers was processing, including special category data, were very vulnerable individuals, the Commissioner believes it is reasonable to expect that security within Tuckers should have not only met but surpassed the basic requirements of cyber essentials, the ICO said. The fact that some ten months after failing cyber essentials, they had still not received this issue – is, in the Commissioner's view, sufficient to constitute a negligent approach to data security obligations. The ICO ultimately decided to impose a penalty of £98,000 to be paid by the 29th of March 2022 at the latest. A spokesperson for Tucker Solicitors said, Tucker Solicitors takes data security and trust very seriously. We are disappointed in this initial finding from the ICO relative to an international criminal organisation's attack on our system and separate data which was already publicly available. But to operate in full with the ICO and the City of London Police in their investigation, the Commissioner makes clear that he accepts the primary culpability for this incident rest with the attacker, but for the attacker's criminal actions, regardless of the state of the security, the breach would not have occurred. Following the attack, we have successfully implemented a broad range of measures to prevent the recurrence of such criminal incidents, and the ICO acknowledges the strength and procedures which are now in place as we operate from a state-of-the-art system. So what are the key lessons we can learn from this? Well, I think there are three, really. The first is about multi-factor authentication because the ICO considered that multi-factor authentication is a comparably low-cost preventative security measure which Tuckers should have implemented and we'd fully support that. And the same would apply for other controllers that possess personal data or really any data. So avoid basing access on a single username and password as it's clear now from this ruling from the ICO that that won't meet the requirements of Article 32, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph B of GDPR. So if you are still using just single-user username and password, please do contact us using the contact details available in this episode of the GDPR which Show because we need to talk to you about getting multi-factor authentication in place and how you can do that most cost-effectively. The second lesson to learn from this is about software patches and how important it is that if a software provider issues a patch, then you really should take steps to install, up. Then you really should take steps to install that patch At the earliest opportunity. In this particular case, Tuckers waited more than four months after a software patch was released before they installed it, despite the patch being widely publicised and despite the patch being free. The ICO found that because of the sensitivity of the data in question, combined with the use of infrastructure containing known critical vulnerabilities, i.e., they weren't using two-factor authentication, delaying the update meant that the firm had not ensured appropriate security of its data in line with Article 5, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph F of GDPR. And then finally, encryption. Encryption is really, really, really important. Because if you encrypt the data, even if you subsequently lose that data in a data breach, the value of that data to the person taking the data is minimised. Now, whilst encryption would obviously not have prevented the attack, that needs stronger defences, the ICO noted that it could have helped to really mitigate the risk to individuals by ensuring the confidentiality of the exfiltrated data. In assessing what amounts to state-of-the-art for the purposes of Article 32 of GDPR, the ICO referenced the ISO and NIST standards, as well as its own guidance on encryption. The ICO has made it very clear from this that it's going to look dimly in future on any failure to have encryption in place. And again, if you need help with that, please do contact us using the contact details that are coming up at various points during this episode of the GDPR Witchy Show. To Birmingham now, and legal action is being taken by 106 current and former staff members from Mercedes dealership LSH Auto, which has sites in Erdington and Solihull. A sophisticated cyber-attack at the dealership led to personal data from 100 staff being accessed, a law firm has claimed. The security breach has now prompted staff to take legal action against their employers. It is understood that the data breach at LSH Auto occurred in June 2021. But this week, specialist data breach firm Hayes Tonner confirmed the start of the route's legal fight. It includes both current workers at, at LSH's eight dealerships and also former members of staff. The 106-strong group were first contacted by bosses at the firm by letter more than six months ago, which said the serious concerns among those affected. But Hayes Tonner said they'd failed to get any answers from the company as to how the data had been breached and what had happened to it. A letter warned staff the business suffered a security incident on June the third last year which may have resulted in unauthorised access to your personal data. It went on to say that the cyber attack was carried out by unknown and unauthorised individuals. Experts at Hayes Conner have been working with a growing number of people affected by the breach since that time. The firm said the action was a bid to find out exactly how the cyber attack could have happened and what data had been accessed. It is feared bank details, national insurance numbers and other personal information could have been compromised in the attack. This, the group's legal advisors say, has caused the months of concern as they wait to find out more. The initial letter caused huge concern amongst those affected, said Christine Sabino, legal director from hayes Tronner. Being told out of the blue that your data has been breached is worrying enough, but all those affected still don't know what data was accessed and what might have happened to it. Whether they still work for the dealership or not, every single one of our clients has a right to know exactly what went wrong here. LSH owes each and every person affected and the explanation for this unnecessary distress and should say what they intend to do for them. She added LSH should also assure the people affected that this sort of incident won't happen again and outline what steps they've taken to protect everyone's data for the future. The very least you can expect from a current or former employer is that your private, highly personal information is kept safe, but sadly we are seeing more and more of these cases and it's a real concern for people affected. LSH also operates from a number of sites in the Midlands and the North West. It said their investigations found there was no evidence of any potentially compromised data having been misused. Martin Webb, the managing director of LSH Auto UK, said in June 2021 LSH Auto UK was a victim of a sophisticated cyber attack contained to its UK business. We take the security of our systems and data extremely seriously and so we immediately took action to protect our system and engage forensic specialists to investigate the incident. We took immediate steps to protect our employees and communicate with them offering all current and former employees supports were a dedicated advice helpline and free credit checks. Our investigations concluded that there was no evidence of any potentially compromised data being misused and the Information Commissioner's Office subsequently confirmed it would not be taking any further action. We are sorry this has happened and the uncertainty has caused we take such matters very seriously and have and continue to take all necessary steps to protect against cyber attacks. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Scenic Group is continuing to operate its tours and cruises despite a cybersecurity incident involving unauthorised access to the firm's IT systems. The group's brands include Scenery Luxury Cruises and Tours, Emerald Cruises and Evergreen Tours. The breach first happened in late February and the company has switched to dealing with inquiries by email and phone. A statement from Scenic said, As per our cybersecurity protocols, we have ring-fenced our IT systems to minimise any further impact and immediately started to conduct an investigation into this breach. We have engaged the services of an external cybersecurity company and their forensic experts to assist our internal IT team to resolve this situation and bring our systems back online to full capacity. Investigations by our IT department and the cybersecurity experts are ongoing and we continue to work in collaboration with relevant authorities, including compliance with all relevant laws, and we all reporting obligations, as well as cooperating with regulatory bodies as required. As the risk assessment continues, the group's IT systems will remain offline, including the senior group websites. The statement added... There is currently no evidence to indicate that any guest, staff data or personal data has been impacted. Rob Voss, Chief Operating Officer at Scenic Group, said, whilst this incident has impacted our IT systems, please be assured that we continue to operate our cruise and tour programs as scheduled. Scenic Group will work closely with our partners to ensure delivery of our guest experience is not impacted. The group has also suspended river cruises in Russia for 2022 and 2023, including any connecting land journeys as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Visited to the Senior website in the UK can see a statement about the ITB and Russian cancellations. If we hear any more about this from the Senior Group, we will just bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: To Dundee in Scotland now, and a 24 year old man allegedly breached data protection laws while well, working at Dundee City Council's social work department. Liam Bucken will stand trial later this month accused of accessing files of five named individuals without any reason or business for doing so. Buchan of Erkart Road in Aberdeen denies that at several locations including Drummond, Forrester House, South Road, Dundee and the city's Junction Young Person Centre on Strathmore Avenue he did knowingly and recklessly obtain personal data without consent of the data controller. The claim he accessed the files during the course of his employment with the local authorities' social work team between July 20th, 2018 and October 29th, 2018. The charges is an alleged breach of the data protection Act 2018. A trial date has been set for March 24th, 2022, and we will, of course, follow the trial here on the Gigi Bellwiggy show. New York in America now and popular open source computer hardware company Adafruit Industries has sent exposed customer data via the GitHub account of a former employee. Adafruit is named after Ada Lovelace a 19th century British intellectual who was a computer programmer long before any programmable computers existed. According to Adafruit's public report the inadvertent disclosure involved an auditing dataset used for employee training becoming public on a GitHub repository associated with an inactive former employee's account who was learning data analysis. The repository contained some names, email addresses, shipping, billing addresses and or whether orders were placed accessories via credit card processor and or PayPal as well as details for some orders. There were no user passwords or financial information such as credit cards in the data analysis set. Adafruit claims that they got onto the job of removing the offending information within 15 minutes of hearing about the problem, contacting its employee to get the data deleted and kicking off an analysis to try to figure out who else might have seen it and what they might have done with it. The company is warning customers to watch out for apparently believable phishing campaigns that warn potential victims to take corrective action such as resetting their passwords via a handy supplied but fake website and for bogus callers claiming to be offering official support and requesting personal information for confirmation. As a reminder for your security, the company said, we will never send you a link to reset your password as part of a security alert. Our customer support team will never contact you asking for your password. If you receive an email of this nature, or otherwise suspect that someone is attempting to gain access to your account, or solicit your personal information, or have any other questions about this process, please contact us at security at adafruit.com. So, the company has offered some advice saying if you're a customer and you bought any Adafruit products before 2020, be aware of possible phishing attempts that try to scare you with urgent actions allegedly necessitated by the breach. And just a general lesson for everyone here, I think, to be very careful in the use of GitHub repositories and certainly do not encourage your employees to make their own copies of personal data onto those repositories because should GitHub have a data breach itself, It won't be GitHub who will suffer the consequences. It will be you as the data controller. You're listening to the
0: GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: To Southampton now, and a sat bank worker who keeps the financial details of 1,600 customers hidden under her bed has said her house was targeted in an attempted burglary. The woman is in a long-running dispute with Nat West over the documents which had been kept at her home in Southampton for more than 10 years. She said she immediately felt panicked about what might happen to the data when the two men tried to access her property on the night of 12th of February. Hampshire police said they are currently investigating. The woman who asked to remain anonymous because she fears being targeted again said she was sent home with the data as part of her job selling mortgages. She was dismissed in 2009 for a gross misconduct for failing to give customer information back to the bank and the two parties have reached a stalemate over the terms of the data's return. The documents include account details from customers in Hampshire, Dorset, Berkshire, London, Bristol, Surrey, Essex, Herefordshire, and the West Midlands. CCTV footage of the attempted burglary shows two men wearing balaclavas trying to break into a number of cars on the road before approaching a woman's property. They spent more than a minute in the porch attempting to gain access by the front door before fleeing. The woman said it had always been her biggest fear that the data, which includes names, sort codes, account numbers and other personal information, would be stolen. When I heard them tampering with the front door, it suddenly made it all feel very real, she said. To me, that's 1,600 people, and I don't know what could happen to them if their details fell into the wrong hands. The Information Commissioner's Office has acted as a mediator between the woman and Nat West, but said it was no longer involved as it was satisfied that the potential response to individuals does not warrant further action. The woman has previously said that shredding the documents would not have protected her from any potential future legal action and it wasn't the right thing to do. She said this led to an impasse with the bank over the wording of the receipt which would have allowed the documents to be returned. The bank said the woman had demanded money in exchange for the document, an allegation which she strongly denies. A new offer from the bank is now on the table but the woman said she was upset it did not include an apology. And that's where a spokesperson said, there's been no customer detriment and the bank does not believe that this historical documentation poses any risks to customers. The situation could have been resolved at any point in the past decades with the return of the documentation. The bank has now put forward another proposal for recovery of documents and is awaiting a response.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com
1: to Ireland now, and newspaper publisher Media Whose Island, previously known as Independent News and Media, has revealed in legal documents that INM's former Chief Executive for Ireland, Joe Webb, and Mandy Scott, the former INM Chief Executive, Gavin O'Reilly's Executive Assistant, had the contents of their email accounts over many years secretly reconstructed in a data breach at INM in 2014. Mr Weber, and Ms Scott, along with Mr O'Reilly and Carl Brophy, who was INM's Director of Corporate Affairs, were the four people whose email accounts and private data were most closely targeted in the illegal secret data operation ordered by former INM chairman Leslie Buckley and paid for by a company connected to Dennis O'Brien, who in 2014 was INM's major shareholder. The company's email system has also separately searched for information about so-called INM-19, a group of people with various connections to the business interests of Mr. O'Brien. But only Mr. must Scott, Mr. Brophy and Mr. O'Reilly had all their emails reconstructed. In documents filed by Media House Island in a case taken against it over the data leak by Mr. Brophy and Mr. O'Reilly, the company also confirms that Bladen, an Isle of Man company connected to Mr. O'Brien, is known to have paid more than €60,000 towards the data search costs. The uncovering of the data set sparked state investigations by High Court Inspectors and the Data Protection Commission, as well as a slew of private legal actions by those affected. Mediahost's law firm, Matheson, outlines in legal documents lodged in recent weeks as part of the case that Bladen paid an invoice of €46,260 that was submitted in December 2015 to INM by Welsh IT firm TDS. It also refers to a separate invoice of fourteen thousand nine hundred forty-four euros and fifty cents that was submitted in December twenty sixteen to Mr. O'Brien's Island Capital Group by DMZ Limited, a company connected to IT consultant Derek Mizak, who helped Mr. Buckley with the data operation. In the latest legal documents, Media House confirms that the backup IT tapes from which the email data was harvested were destroyed by the company in February 2018, six months after it became aware that the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement was investigating the issue. It said this happened as part of its preparation for the introduction of GDPR. Mediahost refuses in documents to release to Mr Bofia and Mr O'Reilly's lawyers copies of two internal reports into the data breach, which were carried out for INM by Deloitte. Mediahost says the reports are legally privileged. The company also denies that Mr Buckley was acting on its behalf when he ordered the data search operation. Mr. Buckley is also being sued by Mr. Brophy and Mr. O'Reilly over the data search operation as previously denied any wrongdoing related to the case. Media Hoose has also denied that it bears responsibility for any wrongdoing and says it awaits the report of the High Court inspectors to find out the true purpose of the data operation ordered by Mr. Buckley and paid for by Mr. O'Brien's company. We will follow this case with interest and bring you any important updates here on the GDPR Weekly Show. One question we get asked fairly often is, is it safe to use WhatsApp for business data and customer data as far as GDPR is concerned? Well, we would say treat it with a good degree of caution because whilst WhatsApp does encrypt data end-to-end, and that's a positive, the negative is that you have no control over that data or where it's being stored. And so... If you are transferring documents with customer data on them via WhatsApp to your employees, and perhaps that's a habit that you've got into over the COVID period, it might be worth thinking whether there are any better alternatives. And we can certainly help you look into that. Because should WhatsApp have a major data breach, and it has to be remembered that particularly now with the situation in Russia and the Ukraine, that Russia is probably actively looking at ways to hack applications such as WhatsApp. So if that data breach were to happen, and it's your client data that gets hacked, or gets stolen in that data hack, then it's you as the data controller who has the problem, not WhatsApp. WhatsApp would say, we're just a data processor, or even, we're just there for private communication, and you shouldn't be transferring documents with customer data, via our platform. So we're not saying don't use WhatsApp, just saying be very cautious in what you use platforms like WhatsApp for. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Another question we frequently get asked on our help desk is about anonymizing data. So we thought it was worth spending just a few minutes looking at anonymizing data and how you do that and stay GDPR compliant. And indeed, many of these principles also transfer over to CCPA in the USA. So in general, when producing and disclosing anonymous information, you should take a comprehensive approach. You should use a data protection impact assessment to help you structure and document your decision-making processes around anonymization and identify any risks to rights and freedoms and mitigation strategies in a structured way. For example, you might want to consider whether using anonymous information for further purposes which may lead to detrimental effects on an individual, perhaps discrimination or financial loss, and whether using anonymous information with poor analytical value which may lead to detrimental effects on any individual. You should make sure that within your business someone of sufficient seniority is overseeing the anonymization process and any associated decision-making. Just anonymizing data by itself is data processing, and therefore that's why it's important to carry out a DPIA. Within the DPIA, you should define your purpose and detail the technical and organisational measures you will do to achieve it. And if you're working with any other business or any other organisation and you plan to disclose any anonymous information, you should work with those other organisations likely to be processing information and possibly disclosing other information, which impact the effectiveness of your anonymization. Even when data is anonymized, the more detailed the information is, the stronger the argument for limited access over general disclosure, just making it available to anyone. For activities such as research, system testing or planning, limited access may be more appropriate. For example, releasing data among a closed group with a finite number of researchers involved. You should prohibit further disclosure by contractual controls backed up by robust technical and organisational measures. If you are responsible for disclosing data on a limited access basis, you should put robust safeguards in place before making the anonymous information available to others. This includes making sure that the recipients understand the limitation of purpose, that the recipient staff have been trained, that security checks for those who have access to the data controls over the ability to bring other data into the environment, that the data is limited to a particular project or set of projects, the restricting disclosure of the data outside of that limited access environment, prohibit any attempts at re-identification, ensure appropriate measures in place to destroy any accidentally re-identified personal data, and implement appropriate technical and organisational security measures including confidentiality agreements for those who will access the data, including your own staff. As we mentioned earlier in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, also make sure that data is encrypted, even if it's been anonymized and limit the number of copies of the data to what is strictly necessary. Remember, if you are using anonymization that individuals have the right to know how and why you're processing their data. So your privacy policy should explain your approach to anonymization as clearly as possible, including any consequences it may have. You should explain and describe why you anonymize individuals' personal data, the techniques that you will use to do this, what safeguards are in place to minimize the risks that may be associated with the production of anonymous information? Any risks in anonymization you're carrying out and the possible consequences of this? And your reasoning for publishing anonymous information and explain how you did the weighing up, i.e., what factors you did or didn't take into account, and why when you looked at identification in the round. Of course, never disclose any data that could make re identification more likely. And you might want to consider whether you want to make that. DPIA available to any data subjects affected by the, the anonymisation. That might not be the full document, it might just be a summary. Make sure you've got staff training in place, so staff must understand the anonymization techniques you use, any risks involved, how to mitigate the risks, and their specific roles in ensuring that the anonymization is done safely. Providing you've carried all that out, then if a security incident leads to re-identification of an individual from data you treated as anonymous information prior to the incident, the ICO would not consider this as a personal data breach at that time, providing you can demonstrate your decision-making to justify why you anonymised the data and that you anonymized it effectively in the first place. So I hope that gives you just a few pointers. As always, if you have any questions, please do contact us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you might remember that back in episodes 99, 169 and 175, we've mentioned about Clearview AI. Well, now the Italian Data Protection Authority has published a decision in which it imposed a €20 million euro fine onto Clearview for violation of GDPR. Clearview AI is a US-based company which provides search engine services involving facial recognition. The company collects images from social networks, blogs and in general from websites containing publicly accessible photos and videos by using web scraping techniques. The images are subsequently processed and stored in Clearview AI's database so that when the search engine identifies a match, it can extract all the related images from the database. These then presented to customers a service still with any associated metadata and links. The Italian DPA's investigation followed several complaints and alerts about Clearview AI's data processing practices. Now, given that Clearview AI is headquartered in the USA and has no establishments in Europe, the Italian SA first had to determine whether the GDPR applied to Clearview AI's processing activities. Pursuant to Article Three, Paragraph Two of GDPR, the GDPR applies to the processing personal data of individuals who are in the European Union, but controlled or processes are not established in the EU, if the processing activities are related to either offering of goods or services to those individuals, or if the activities relate to the monitoring of individuals' behaviour, as far as that behaviour takes place within the EU. In this particular case, the Italian DPA confirmed the territorial applicability of GDPR as it found that Clearview AI provides services to individuals in the EU in addition to monitoring their behaviour. Regarding the merits of the case, the Italian DPA concluded that Clearview AI processed personal, biometric and geolocation data unlawfully as it did not have an appropriate legal basis for processing. The Italian DPA also took the view that Clearview AI had infringed fundamental principles of GDPR, including principles of transparency, purpose limitation and storage limitation. In light of these violations, the Italian DPA imposed a fine of €20 million on Clearview AI and ordered it to erase all personal data relating to individuals in Italy. The Italian DPA also banned any further collection and processing of personal data relating to individuals in Italy through Clearview AI's facial recognition system and ordered Clearview AI to designate a representative in the EU for the purpose of complying with Article 27 of GDPR. This is an important decision because it illustrates that European DPAs are increasingly focusing their enforcement efforts on companies that, despite the fact they do not have a physical presence in Europe, are still required to comply with GDPR by virtue of Article 3, Paragraph 2. <laughs> the Spain now, and the Spanish DPA has recently approved the first industry code of conduct under GDPR. This industry code has been promoted by Pharma Industria, and it governs the processing of personal data in the field of clinical trials and other clinical research and of pharmacovigilance when they are conducted in Spain. Pharma Industria, the trade association representing innovative pharmaceutical companies established in Spain, has adopted a new Code of Conduct regulating the processing of personal data in the field of clinical trials and the other clinical research and of pharmacovigilance, the Code of Conduct approved by the Spanish DPA. The Code of Conduct replaces a previous code adopted by Farmer Industria back in 2009 under the former Data Protection Regulations and is presented to the members of Farmer Industria for them to voluntarily adhere to. Indeed, Annex 1 to the Code of Conduct contains a template of application of adherence. With regards to the content of this Code of Conduct, the following should be noted. The Code of Conduct will apply to sponsored clinical trials, whether they are associated to pharma Industria or not, and to clinical research organisations in Spain, insofar as they adhere to the Code of Conduct and process personal data to perform clinical research or to comply with pharmacovigilance. This will not apply, though, to research initiated before the new Code of Conduct comes into effect. The Code of Conduct sets out a standard operating procedure for clinical trials and related research. It establishes that no data protection consent is needed once the participant has agreed to join the clinical trial. The information obligations remain. This standard operating procedure regulates the secondary uses of personal data for further research without the participant's consent or the duty of active responsibility, especially when it comes to security breaches. The standard operating procedure also incorporates templates of data protection clauses to be used in the agreements between the sponsor and other research players. With regard to pharmacovigilance, the Code of Conduct sets forth different rules based on whether the personal data is identifying data on or on the contrary, codified data. Moreover, the Code of Conduct lays down a uniform protocol on pharmacovigilance with specificities based on the channel and the person who makes the notification, and with special rules in case the adverse reaction comes to the company's knowledge through social media. The Code of Conduct designates the so-called Code of Conduct Governing Body to monitor compliance of the ad companies with the Code of Conduct and to liaise with the Spanish DPA on behalf of Pharma Industria. The Code of Conduct governing body will remain independent from pharma-industria. Code of Conduct foresees a specific disciplinary regime which applies to all the companies without prejudice to the legal provisions set forth in GDPR and Spanish Organic Law 3 of 2018. The Code of Conduct is a voluntary and free dispute settlement system before which data subjects can file claims for infringement of data protection rights by any of the companies. Claims will not be omitted when the Spanish DPA or the Spanish courts are hearing them. The Code of Conduct will be reviewed as needed, and in any case, the Code of Conduct will be reviewed, and if applicable, updated every four years. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Turning now to the use of artificial intelligence and decision-making in the recruitment process. Many employers now include algorithms and automated decision-making in hiring and other personnel processes. The London School of Economics and Political Science recently reported that more than 60% of firms are adopted new digital technologies and management practices as a result of COVID-19. Whilst the use of AI tools provides benefits for an organisation such as speed and cost savings, employers should be mindful of the legal implications of placing too much reliance on AI without appropriate understanding of the legal risks and controls in place. UK GDPR provides that data must be processed lawfully fairly and in a transparent manner. The complexity of explaining AI decision-making processes presents a challenge. However, clarity of the logic, if not the technicalities, is most important. Technologies are also being developed to assist with further clarity. In addition, businesses must ensure that the processing of employee data does not have an unjustified adverse effect on any individual. This would be unfair processing. It would also likely mean that they would not be able to rely on legitimate interests as the legal basis for processing. When organisations use algorithms to process special category data, for example health, race and religion, this requires even more protection. Most likely, express consent is required unless it's been used in a way that's necessary for compliance with employment law requirements. These circumstances are likely to be very limited in practice and there are challenges in relying on consent in any employment context. So use of special category data to support AI must be considered very carefully. In addition, there are rules on automated decision making. UK GDPR specifically prohibits solely automated decision making that has a legal or similarly significant effect, unless you have explicit consent from the individual. The decision is necessary to enter into or perform a contract, or is authorised by EU or member state law. The first test here is whether the outcome of the AI decision has legal or significant effect. Not all AI decisions will satisfy this requirement. However, there will be many in an employment context that may for example, applicant screening tools, role suitability assessment tools, etc., could all be argued to be AI decisions which have a legal effect. The grounds to permit this activity represent a high bar to satisfy for employers. Consent might appear to be the most relevant in employment contexts, but there's a risk that the power imbalance between a job candidate and a prospective employer could result in consent not being considered to be freely given, and therefore, towards under GDPR, the consent would be invalid. Where consent is relied on as a basis of processing, organisations must also keep in mind that individuals are entitled to refuse or withdraw consent at any time without suffering any detriment. And quite how you do that if you've used the data for AI purposes to make a decision regarding someone's employment, I'm really not sure. What is necessary to enter into an employment contract can also be difficult to establish. The ICO's guidance states that processing must be a targeted and proportionate step which is integral to delivering the contractual service or taking requested action. This exemption will not apply if another decision-making process with human intervention was available. So it's hopefully clear from this that any use of AI within HR has to be carefully targeted. The important thing, of course, as always, is to make sure you've carried out a data protection impact assessment to analyse, identify and minimise the risk to ensure compliance with UK GDPR. The other thing you need to consider though if you're thinking about using algorithms in the HR process is consideration of the Equality Act 2010. For example, an automated recruitment system could be said to discriminate if it favours one gender over another, including storing language more typically used by male candidates more highly than language more commonly used by female candidates or vice versa, values linked to service in past roles disproportionately over experience and skills, which could lead to age discrimination allegations, or does not recognise overseas qualifications on a par with those from the UK, presents its the employer to race discrimination claims. Any automated decision process that does not build in disability discrimination, safeguards and reasonable adjustments could also place the employer at risk. There are examples of individuals whose disability impacts on their ability to satisfactorily complete multiple-choice tests, despite them being able to answer the question if they can use free text. An automated process that does not build in flexibility could lead to equality concerns. A robust AI tool may recommend candidates for recruitment that surprise an organisation. We know that diverse teams work well, but doesn't always play out in recruitment decisions. Diversity in a range of personality types can challenge existing preferences related to team cohesion. And it should, of course, be bear in mind that even with human interaction, some of those challenges will be unconscious. So it doesn't mean you can't use AI within the HR process. It does mean you've got to do it incredibly carefully. And if you need any help with deciding on whether you should be doing it in your particular circumstance, or you'd like our help with conducting a data protection impact assessment, then please contact us by email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: To Montana in the USA, now and a Montana resident has filed a lawsuit on March the 11th against Logan Health Medical Center after a hacker gained access to 174,761 patients' protected health information. The resident claims that Logan Health did not take sufficient action to prevent the theft of this information. The background on November the 22nd, 2021. Officials at the Medical Centre became aware that an unauthorised user had viewed information from a single file server which contained patients' names, addresses, medical record numbers, dates of birth, telephone numbers, email addresses, insurance claim information, dates of service, the patient's treating and referring physician, medical bill account numbers and health insurance information. The centre notified patients of the breach on February 22nd this year and said no evidence had been found indicating that the hacker had misused any of the patient information from the server. The plaintiff noted that this data breach was the latest in a series of breaches reported by Logan Health and argued that the centre did not take new or sufficient actions such as training, security protocols or further infrastructure protections to prevent future breaches. The plaintiff is suing for negligence, invasion of privacy, breach of implied contract breach of the Montana Consumer Protection Laws, and unjust enrichment. The plaintiff also requests the health centre to pay attorney's fees and costs, an award of actual damages and treble damages. We'll be following this case with interest and bring you updates here on the GDPR Weekly Show. To Scottsdale in Arizona now, and Practice Matt, who provides support services to healthcare providers, have had a data breach. PracticeMax handles billing, satisfaction research and IT support for hospitals, physicians, practice groups and others in the healthcare industry. Headquartered in Scottsdale, Arizona, it also has offices across the United States, including in Texas, Oregon, New England, Arizona and Illinois. The company processes more than $1 billion in annual charges and works with over 5,200 healthcare providers in all 50 states across the USA. According to an official filing by the company on May the 21st, 2021, PracticeMatch began experiencing technical issues with its computer network. Upon looking into the incident, the company detected ransomware on certain systems. PracticeMatch then launched an internal investigation to learn more about the nature and scope of the incident. It later determined that between April the 17th, 2021 and May the 5th, 2021, an unauthorized party gained access to one of the company's servers. Upon learning of the extent of the security breach, Practice Mats then reviewed the affected service to determine whether it contained any sensitive consumer information. On October 19, 2021, Practice Mats began notifying potentially affected individuals on behalf of certain Practice Mats customers. However, as the investigation continued, the company learned more information about the breach. While the compromise information varies by consumer, It may include affected parties' names, addresses, social security numbers, dates of birth, treatment and diagnosis information, health insurance information, financial information, patient account numbers, employer and employee identification numbers, passport numbers, driver's licence numbers, state identification numbers, prescription information and provider or employee login information. Between February 11, 2022 and March 4, 2022 – Practice Match sent out additional data breach notification updates to all individuals whose information had been compromised. In a statement, Practice Match said they're committed to safeguarding information in their care and have strict security measures in place to protect the information in their care. Upon learning of the incident, they say they moved quickly to investigate and respond and confirm the security of their systems. They say they've been in communication with their customers throughout the course of the investigation and have notified them of their efforts to date. Practice Matt say that they have notified the FBI and relevant regulators, including the US Department of Health and Human Services. Practice Matt said they do not have any evidence of misuse of personal information at this time, however they encourage all infected individuals to remain vigilant by reviewing documents for suspicious activity, including health insurance statements, explanations of benefits of letters, medical records, account statements, and credit reports. They say that if you find unfamiliar activity on statements you receive from your health insurance company, you should immediately notify your health insurance company. Additionally, any suspicious activity on your credit report should be reported immediately to law enforcement. Patients with questions may contact Practice Max's dedicated call centre at 1-855-568-2073, Monday through Friday from 9am to 6.30pm Eastern Time. Alternatively, you can email them at instantresponse at practicemats.com.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production.
0: Until next time, bye-bye.